could best describe it this way. Um, when Derek told me I got the job, um, there was a 10,000 pound weight lifted off of this shoulder. And then after about half an hour later, I realized that it had just been transferred to this shoulder. So, um, yeah, it's, it's um, yeah, I do feel quite a lot of responsibility. I have my entire career. Um, I know that, you know, I am uh, quite visible and you know, I think that that's always been a, uh, a big thing for me is to just make my reputation as good as I can make it um, and let that carry me through. Uh, and, and that's even more important now, now that I have this position. Um, you just have to care, you you're, you're bearing the torch for so many. Uh, and that is a, a big responsibility, but I, I take it on. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast, presented by Simply Healthcare. I'm Jordan McPherson. He's Andre Fernandez. How are you doing, Andre? I'm good, Jordan. Good to be back, man. There's a lot of exciting stuff uh, on this offseason so far, and we're just getting we're just getting started in November. I mean, can't wait to see what, what else is in store. Yeah, I mean, and obviously the biggest news, Marlins make a historic hire, a probably long overdue hire in naming Kim Ang their general manager. She'll be replacing Michael Hill, who is now retained from his post as president of baseball operations. And she's the first female in MLB history to have the general manager title. She's the highest ranking female in a front office, any sort of front office capacity among the 30 MLB teams. And believed to be the first female to have a GM role in any of the North American major major male sports. So breaking barriers, but more than just that, this is a woman who has three decades of experience in the front offices. She's been assistant GMs for the Yankees and the Dodgers. She was in MLB's front office as the senior VP of baseball operations for close to a decade before taking on this role. And just a very, very intriguing, interesting, and well-deserved hire. Just, Dre, what are your overall thoughts on Kim Ang? Well, well how, did, how did LeBron say it once? It's about damn time. <laughs> I mean, I think I think pretty much that sums it up when it comes to you know, She'll never say that because she'll say it humbly, and I know she was very classy about everything today, but it really is because when you look at her resume and the things she's been able to accomplish, you, it, you really, it's... It, you wonder if if she if she should have had this a lot not just shouldn't have had this a long time ago but you know the way sometimes it works in society if she been if she now been a woman she probably would have had this job a long time ago it's sad to say and it shouldn't have been that shouldn't have been the case she should have been given this opportunity a while ago but the the good thing is she has the good thing is the Marlins had you know the vision to to do something like that and yeah she's familiar it, it doesn't hurt the fact that it's another Yankee connection. It's someone else that um, is going to help in that in that command structure over there that they're trying to put together now, you know, to collectively continue to move forward. And, uh, you know, but she, she's just what impressed me, too, is she's not just another voice. She's not just going to be like, you know, one fifth of the operation there or something like she's going to have a good say on everything. She's got tremendous insights on the game. And that's from a career of, you know, seeing the game from top to bottom, working different types of jobs in the organization. And, and and all the, all that all those instincts all all that insight that she has into what how to continue to build a franchise uh, you know basically from the ground up is going to be invaluable to this team 
And, and it's good. It's good because I'm glad it's someone that's going to have some say, going to have authority in all of this. I mean, we know Derek and Gary Denbo are going to have, you know, probably the biggest say still or, or, or something like that. But at the same time, she's going to have a very strong voice in, in the day-to-day operation and, and in the direction that this franchise, you know, will, will be moving and, and what they'll, you know, hopefully be able to achieve in the next few years. Yeah, one of the key lines that she said during her hour-long intro presser that really stuck out to me was when she was asked just about the diversity of opinions and whether or not or what her role will be in. And her quote was, I don't think I was ever hired to just nod and play along. You're hired to give your opinion. If those diverse perspectives aren't talking, you don't really have much of anything. And to hear her say that and different variations of that throughout a slew of different questions was, it really hit home that she is being hired for what she's done. Obviously, again, her resume just, it speaks volumes and she's probably going to be coming in just looking resume, just comparing resumes alone. She's probably coming in as the most overqualified first-time general manager in Major League Baseball history. And she's got, I mean, and the way we're going to see it is even with her connection with the Yankees, with the Yankee South that's coming into that front office with Derek Jeter and Gary Dembo. You have Dan Greenlee, who was with the Yankees after her time, after her four years there in the late 90s and early 2000s. And you have Don Mattingly, obviously, and the list goes on and on. I mean, at the end of the day, she's still a general manager. She still has to do what she can to make sure the Marlins weren't just a one-year blip on the map last season during their playoff run. They have to make decisions between finding ways to build up this big league roster, which still has a decent amount of holes in it. They need to find a power batter, too. They're going to have to fix up the bullpen again. They're going to have to figure out how they want to handle all these prospects who made their debuts last year with no minor league season and how they're going to handle the depth there with also trying to stock up the big leagues. And they're going to have to find ways to make sure the Marlins are still in the picture for things on the field as well as what they're doing in the announcement that we just got with her with her hiring. Well, look, she's arriving at a, at a time that could be looked back as a as a tipping point in this franchise because it's been built up to where it is now but this is where we find out how good can they how, how much of a leap can they take this is where all the talent that they've acquired you know the development side is going to be crucial like you said especially facing the setback of this past season in terms of covid and not having all of those factors like a normal off season so she comes in and the decision she's going to make you know, starting in the next couple of weeks are going to are going to play a role and they're going to become more and more important as it goes on. But I like the fact that because of her experience, yes, she is literally going to be the one girl in the room when it comes to all the other GMs in baseball. But she's going to be a respected voice, not just because of, of her accomplishments, but also because they know her. Even if maybe she wasn't a GM like the other 29, but they all know who she is. You know, they know her background. They know how accomplished. They know how, you know, they know what she brings to the table, in other words, even if she hasn't had that title on her nameplate, you know, until right now. So I think that respect factor is going to help a lot to her when she has to negotiate trades with some of these other GMs, when she has to make decisions that involve, you know, maybe persuading a team into giving us a, a top end player, a top end, you know, giving the team a top end prospect, let's say. So all those things, all those things factor in. And I think her being hers, she's going to be seen as the boss and when it comes to the Marlins, even though she has that familiarity with everybody, but they will respect her and her voice in that system to be that authoritative figure she has to be when the time comes. 
And also she has potentially a pretty good advantage when it comes to the fact that her last 10 years, she was in Major League Baseball's main baseball operations department. She was overseeing and interacting with every team. So even if it may not have been direct conversation, she may have a chance to know some of the tendencies of how other teams operate and may be able to find ways to pinpoint ways that that might be able to help the Marlins get an advantage when it comes to some trades or figuring out who who some teams may not be able to keep on the rosters for whatever reasons. Having all of that institutional knowledge in the back of her head that she's been racking up for the last eight, nine years, that's got to be able to play a point at some point down the road, especially with a lot going on over these next couple of weeks. Yeah, the, the one thing that's going to be key, I think, for her too, and that's that's the challenge that she's going to have right off the bat is going to be, and she's talked about it today. I don't remember if it was on the main presser or on when she talked later with, the, with MLB Network, but she was talking about how she has to familiarize herself personally with the entire roster from top to bottom in the organization. Because you said it's one thing to know the names and to see the numbers and those stats, but to really get to know and, and learn tendencies and things like that, that's going to hap- have to happen over time. And that's going to be the tricky part because she's going to have to make a few moves or be heavily involved in, in the making of a few moves coming up, just going kind of a little bit more like on, on, on second hand maybe or a little bit on just looking you know, completely at, you know, coldly at the numbers kind of thing where later on she's going to have a little more of a hunch of like, all right, you know what? I have a feeling we shouldn't get rid of this guy or I have a feeling we should get this guy from this team, stuff like that. So the, the, the little things that kind of take a little time, which I'm more than confident she's going to get there. But right now, when it comes to making moves in the next couple of weeks, that's going to be the interesting part. She's going to have to, you know, probably lean on the, you know, her support staff a little bit in the beginning until she gets up to speed. But I think, you know, the, that's only a matter of, of, of some time to get acclimated, and I think it's not going to take her that much. To be and for those first couple weeks with, I mean, we'll go over the deadlines it in was, a little bit about what they have to do, but for these first couple weeks, how much do you think that it helps, at least from Derek Jeter's side of it, to bring in somebody who they know each other so well? When, they, when, Derek, when Derek Jeter said they were doing their first round of interviews over the phone, they basically felt like they were clicking right away, sort of like back when they were back in the late 90s and early 2000s when she was assistant GM, he was rising player, and they basically felt that connection. How much do you think that relationship maybe helped Jeter make this decision knowing that there were going to be big things that were going to have to happen right off the bat, and there is that trust factor already ingrained between between the two of them? Yeah, I mean, I think it's big. I think it goes back to what we were talking about just now, like just the, the fact that you're at a crucial point right now where this team is heading into a, a, a very important off season in terms of you want to build off what happened last year. You don't want to get, you want to look at it and say automatically like, okay, now we reach the playoffs every year. It's going to be there. You want to, you want to continue to add to this, what you're able to do in terms of the roster. And, and these are the steps. These are key steps that need to be taken now. And that trust factor of saying, I know her, I know the way she thinks we're in good hands if we can if if we give her the keys right now to take us through this next most important step in, in this in this rebuild, and definitely I think a hundred percent that favored her tremendously in this in, in this hiring because they from past experience and from knowing her as well as they do, they knew to trust her and 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 say if we're gonna if we're gonna rely on someone this is the right voice to have in, in our department. Yep, and now again the work really starts probably right after she finished her, finished her round of interviews. I mean, on Friday, Friday the 20th, you have 
the deadline to add players to your 40-man roster, protect them from the Rule 5 draft. The Marlins have two main guys who they have to pay attention to with that. Uh, infielder Jose Devers and outfielder Gerard Encarnacion. Both top 30 prospects, both guaranteed, or as close to guarantee as possible to being added to the 40-man roster, especially when you consider that the Marlins have two open spots. But then the real big the real big event comes on December 2nd, about just over two weeks from now, when teams have to start tendering contracts and figuring out what guys are going to keep, what guys they may say, okay, we need to designate for assignment or release just to clear up 40-man space, and figuring out what guys you have initial ideas of what you're going to do with arbitration. The Marlins have nine guys in arbitration this year, and once you add Gerard Encarnacion and Jose Devers to the roster, 13 of their 40 spots are part, are, are their top, are top 30 prospects. So it's really a lot of maneuvering and a really interesting jigsaw puzzle that they're really going to start putting together right away, right away and really quick. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Yeah, I mean, one of the things she was credited for too. One of the stories I saw about about Kim was the way she put together arm cases when she was early on in her career and it, it impressed a lot of people. So, I mean, you look at that now and in a year like this, where like, I mean, I remember Mike Kelly used to joke about how they had barely anyone last year, but they were going to have a ton this year. And he's right. Look at, look at everybody in keys in key roles. Look at the key roles on this team that made the playoffs. I mean, look at Jesus Aguilar. That's a guy who's in arbitration. A Jose Arreño, who they lost, who was sorely missed in the playoffs. It would have added pitching depth. But what do you do now? He's at that point where, is he a trade piece? Is he a guy you let walk because you want to, you know, create space for some of these younger pitchers to come in? So a lot of 50-50 kind of decisions here that have to be made that are going to dictate what kind of team this is going to be in 2021, aside from maybe a big signing that they may be able to do. You know, so they, these are the little, you know, the, the, those under-the-radar moves that end up, you know, deciding a, few, a handful of wins here or there that will get you to the postseason or not. And also remember the... Uh the date of tendering contracts last year, that's when they got Jesus Aguilar and they got Jonathan Villar, who after half season, they flipped for another top prospect in Griffin Conine. Right. So you always have these little minor deals that can happen that day or the days leading up to it as well. And then one key spot that's going to be interesting is you have Jesus Aguilar and you have Garrett Cooper, both first basemen who are up for arbitration. They have Lewin Diaz waiting in the wings you have the uncertainty of how of if there's going to be a DH in 2021, and the Marlins having to figure out how they're going to handle having three guys all vying for that playing time, and maybe having to make some tough decisions at that point on how they're going to move forward. Yeah, well, I think Lewin's going to be ready. I mean, you know, 
with every no everyone kind of struggled a little bit at the plate, but I think you know defensively, we saw that this kid could play first base right now, probably at the major league level, just the way he the way he looked, and I think he's going to be ready. So a lot of it, it's going to be tricky because you're not going to you may, you're probably odds are not going to know if there's going to be a DH or not in the National League this coming season. So if you don't, do you still bring back Aguilar knowing that Lewin's going to be there, you know, at some point during the year potentially? And then what do you do with him? And then Cooper, the other lock, you know, the also, I mean, Cooper, you could play a little bit in the outfield as well, but then you have decisions there too. I mean, you're, you're hoping JJ Bladé at some point breaks through later in the season and play some right field. Jesus Sanchez got a taste last year, struggled, but maybe you see him get back up. So, it's unfortunate that you don't have some clarity on that because Aguilar is the type of guy you could put to play DH, you know, 75, 80% of the time if you could, and maybe even Cooper the same way. But they're going to have to, you know, play, play, the, crunch the numbers and, and look at what fits best to what they're, they're trying to do analytically as well. And then just to keep going with the outfielders, obviously Monte Harrison, Lewis Brinson, you have Starling Marte in center, you got Corey Dickerson. Yeah. So if you're trying to add Cooper in there too, Harold Ramirez, you need to see what's going to happen with him. Yeah. So you just. Right. You see all these log jams, which obviously on the Marlin side, with looking at the depth, that's a good problem to have in some senses, but also figuring out how you're going to transition all that into putting to get putting the best guys on the field every single day is going to be another wrinkle to see. But now the shift forward, we got free agencies going on. Obviously, the market is more or less relatively quiet right now with just a lot of uncertainty between not knowing exactly where everything's going to be financially as you figure out with COVID, how that's going to impact 2021. Obviously, it made a big hit to everybody in 2020, but the Marlins still have a lot of moves they could still make and more than likely are going to need to make to bolster this roster. I mean, you look at their bullpen, which really only has Gimme Garcia as their relied-upon back-end guys and still a lot of holes to fill there. I could easily see them trying to get another catcher, sort of trying to do what they did with Francisco Cervelli. And you're gonna need some sort of pop. You're gonna need some sort of you're gonna need some sort of pop in that lineup. And especially if, well, as we wait to see what happens with the Jesus Aguilar Garrett Cooper thing, it's gonna be interesting to see what they do to try to get another veteran bat in that lineup. Well, you definitely need offense because I think that's what happened in the playoffs was after a while you got exposed a little bit. You know, once you lost Marte, especially. And this team just couldn't hit. I mean, it, they had timely hits at times. I mean, that's how I ended up surviving the Cubs series and winning. You know, their, their pitching was great. But at the same time, if you look at that series and they're playing the Cubs best of seven, at some point they would have needed a little more offense to be able to get by. And that's, what you, that, that's how you have to look at it. Like, can we beat these teams in extended series? And, and the answer was they, they couldn't even beat the Braves in one single game. And that was starting – from the end of the regular season, it was pretty glaring the, the gap between the two franchises, and offense was a big part of it. I mean, look at all the look at all the sticks that the Braves have, and they have them locked them locked in for years now. I mean, they have a lot of work to do to get to the point where they can balance the the the, the makeup of the franchise right now, which is very strong on pitching, getting a little better on the hitting side, but still a lot of you know jury still out guys in the farm system where the upside is there, the, the high ceilings are there but still a lot of high-risk guys, too, where you, you haven't seen them yet take that next step and really become the hitters you hope they can. So bringing in another veteran bat besides Marte, besides locking in Marte, is, I think is paramount. And whether it's a big whether it's a big swing, like bringing in a Marcelo Zuna, or it's maybe a little bit of a smaller, more cost-efficient swing, but a guy who can contribute, 
but something. I think they definitely need to bring in at least one extra bat into that lineup next year. I can't believe we have three and a half months till spring training. We're talking all this. It's we're coming off such a great season, albeit all the weirdness that's happened. And I'm just I'm ready to get back out there. Aren't you? Yeah. But the winter meetings are, are are exciting. You know you're starving for it a little bit right now. And the thing is, there's like, no winter meetings this year. It's all virtual this year. So we only Zoom winter meetings. Yeah. Right. So I mean, so the fact that we're not even going to be able to have have the usual casual conversations in the hallway in the hallway of the hotel room, it's going to be. It's just it's making it feel like it's going to be that much longer, even though it's still. Wow, we still have three more well, three I, more months of this, right? <laughs> I worked with certain sports writers that couldn't stand when it was like six hours of nothing, waiting for tips and rumors and stuff to come in. So, I mean, I'm sure I, I think they would have welcomed these these Zoom winter meetings <laughs> if you know who I might be referring to. Yeah, I think I have a I think I have a gut feeling where you're going with this, Dre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, but that, again, like and and that's that's where again, I mean, you got the you know those meetings coming up are going to be crucial, and that's where you know circling back to our main topic of. of the hiring of Kim Ang, she is going to be right there. And that that's where I think, you know, having, again, having a, a veteran presence, despite not having, again, not having that title until right now, but it's still a well, a well-known, well-respected voice in baseball that's going to give the Marlins a presence at the table when it comes to negotiating the moves that they need to make. No doubt about it. And I think that's going to wrap it up for us today. Uh, thanks so much again, everyone, for listening to the latest episode of Fish Fights presented by Simply Healthcare. And we'll let Kim Ang give our outro here with her parting thoughts on just the move, the hire, finally being able to break that glass ceiling, and knowing that it's time to get to work. Thanks so much, everyone. The idea that it has affected this many people uh, is just extraordinary. I, I, I thought it would be a big deal, but this is beyond my expectations, and I think beyond many people's expectations. But I think that really is um, just a testament to where we are. Uh, people are looking for hope. You know, people are looking for inspiration. And uh, I'm, I'm happy that this is a part of it. You know, I'm not sure how many people told me they were now Marlins fans, uh, but it had to be at least 500 of them um, and, and, and their friends because they've known about me for so long. Uh, I was going to tell Derek we might want to stock up on some more hats. Um, but, you know, so many people have, have uh, already put in orders. But, you know, in terms of these little girls, um, it means the world to me. And anybody who knows me knows that I have um, spent countless hours uh, advocating for young girls, advocating for young women, uh, and really trying to help them advance their careers. Uh, that is something that is just so important to me. And so now having this high profile position, um, you know, where, where you're out in public more and, you know, girls can see it. I mean, there's an adage, you know, you can't be it if you can't see it. But I guess I would suggest to them now, now you can see it. And so I look forward to hearing all of their stories and, and um, you know, just how uh, inspired they are to now pers- pursue a, a job in sports, a job in baseball, um, and to reach for the stars.